Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Alleluia. St. Patrick, pray for us. Alleluia. Father Kelly here with Spirit and Swagger. A happy Easter to you all. Something incredible seems to have happened. The Lord is risen, resurrected Siku Dixit, obviously, but also something else. The dog is barking. That's something else that's happened, but that's not what I'm talking about. The thing I'm talking about, the exciting thing that's happened, is that I have discovered relaxation under pressure. Here's what I know. Here's how I know. Here's what happened that says that I know. So I played at a charity golf tournament on Monday, Monday after Easter, which I, you know, I thought it'd be great. It was, but Monday morning after the Easter Triduum, boy, that's a fun one for Greece. But we made it. And it was even better because... I was borrowing a set of clubs, and apparently people go practice before the tournament starts. I was like, oh, what are those? Oh, I guess I better go with those people in the driving reins. Okay. So, put a ball down, pull out the driver, I think. It's not really smaller. Maybe it wasn't quite the driver. Uh, whatever that's called. What's the one that's like a little bit smaller, but looks like a driver, but it's not? I don't know. I don't play golf much. Ball on the tee. One swing. It actually went great. Well, I better stop practicing before I do any worse. So put the ball, put the uh, club back in the bag, went to the cart. We started. First tee, but okay. Now to find out what happens. I hit it just as well again, and it was awesome. Even though I knew, like, okay, pressure moment, might mess it up. No, I hit it just fine. I did that multiple times. Under pressure, I was able to relax and hit the ball great. Another example, this happens, has happened previously, plenty often actually. Uh, to my own surprise, I often write funeral homilies like right beforehand. And that sounds like a bad idea, but it almost always works out really well. I think it just takes having sort of set in while well, thinking about the funeral for a couple days and the moment just works out. Um, and I'm always really happy with them and other people are too. Um, this very podcast is one of the examples. I do this, as some of you know, on Saturday night, which seems like a really silly time, but I'm just in the right mood and it works out. Um, even to my surprise, under pressure, but not pressure, but um, I was talking to college students today about maybe doing uh, those, you know, TikTok type videos. I cringe even saying that, or but also there's what Instagram reels, and I think it's uh, shorts on YouTube. But I think I'm at a place where I can have fun with that and also do the work of being effective at it. Um, haven't done any of it yet, and we'll see what happens. But I feel like I'm at a place like that where I could not overthink it to be able to have fun, but also do productive things with it. So that's exciting. Uh, we'll see where that goes. That's obviously a work of the Holy Spirit, not me, because I'd never think it otherwise. On that golf tournament on Monday, something else to share from it. It was fun to play. I, I may be good at golf, or at least passably good, which is a surprise to me. Uh, but afterwards, again, I said being Easter Monday, uh, some of us priests have not having not had mass yet that day. The tournament began at a, at a eight thirty on Monday morning. Uh, we were barely alive. None of us had none of us uh, were pious enough to have mass before we got up that morning. So uh, three of us kind of not literally, but sort of feeling this way, stumbled back uh, to St. Thomas More and had 
uh, a little semi-private mass, and it was actually really nice to pray with the brother priest together in a kind of um, commiseration of our tiredness. But it was a really nice moment. The next morning, I uh, took, well, not the next morning, the next kind of afternoon, I ended up taking uh, somewhat of a tour of Oklahoma City, um, went to go with my dad's house, and ended up stopping at Brahms and just uh, reveling in getting Brahms on a sunny day. And then I ran over to my, da- ran over to my dad's house, happened to, though, I noticed that a neighbor's house, so I've driven by probably thousands of times before, for once, I stopped and admired. They're actually really fascinating. Uh, down by, down kind of a hillside by their creek, a really cool fire pit area that they obviously don't use, which makes me sad. And then across the street is the is a house with built up into the hillside with really interesting architecture. Down the street from that is apparently an old um, Orthodox monastery that's now a bed an Orthodox monastery that's now a bed and breakfast. Wow. Okay. Um, down a bit from that, I kept driving. I was actually looking for a bridge that crosses the interstate that I've driven under a thousand times. Um, this day, I think a bit of Easter rest was uh, occurring to me of exploring and seeing what was out there. You know, there's a kind of rest and relaxation, if you will. And I um, stumbled upon this little kind of back neighborhood, and it it, it caught my attention in that it didn't catch my attention at all. So it's this little um, semi-rural, lower-middle-class kind of enclave. Um, The houses were not nice, but they weren't bad either. Um, There was some folks with, like, horses and some small livestock, but also some houses just close together in a normal sort of neighborhood house sort of way. Um, it wasn't nice, but it wasn't sketchy either. Um, I don't know. It just struck me as a very a unique kind of place. Someone just passing by quickly might think, oh, no, I'm in a sketchy spot. I better hurry up and get out of here. But if you looked a little closer, it wasn't like that. Like I said, it wasn't a nice neighborhood, but it wasn't bad either in a way that made it interesting. In a way that made it seem very human. I was, it didn't seem right to like walk around and like look around like it was, you know, because it's people's houses and I don't, they're, they're not someone in a zoo to look at, right? They're not an exhibit. So I didn't do that, but it was an odd little surprise, a, a, a um, unique slice of humanity to find myself in. Down the street a little bit, trying to, trying to go where I was supposed to look to find this bridge that I was fascinated by. I stumbled upon a park that, again, I'd driven by plenty of times. It's actually ironically called Edwards Park, sharing my last name, not affiliated with my family anyway whatsoever, as far as I know, but kind of a fun coincidence. So I said, hey, I got time. I'll stop and walk around. And it was lovely. There was, you know, there's a pond there. There's a park. Um, good view of downtown. You can see the sun being a set behind downtown Oklahoma City. It was awesome. But... So I enjoyed a walk around there. Came across a curious thing, though, that made me sad. So, obviously, people would come to the park and had an Easter egg hunt. Awesome. Good for them. But what made me sad is that there were lots of plastic Easter eggs open, laying on the ground. Some of them quite a lot in one pile. 
Which meant, leaves, I can't see what else it would mean, that the kids had an Easter egg hunt, they gathered together, counted their eggs or saw what they had, opened them, took what was inside of them all, and then dumped them on the ground. Now, there were trash cans, plenty accessible, not very far away. So, what does that say? How, how did that go that these kids, I presume, got the treasures from inside the eggs, but then neither the kids nor the adults managed to make it to the trash can? I'm not commenting too much on like, oh gosh, what does that say about the people is a big picture, but it did make me sad that these kids probably think that Easter is just about the money or whatever you get inside plastic eggs, and that might be the much to think of it. And the way that they discarded them and left them on the grass to be an eyesight to other people doesn't say good things about their attitudes towards the Easter holiday. But I can only infer so much from some things left on the grass. I did pick some of them up, by the way. As the day continued on, I went um, across the bridge, didn't have that great of a view after all, but I carried on towards downtown, found a neat restaurant called Black Walnut. I'd like to go back to it. It's kind of on the edge of Deep Deuce. I think it's a, it's a reference to the culture there, but also looks like a really nice place. Carried on down Walnut Street, found uh, the Bricktown Ballpark. Took time to just go walk around, admire this, like read the plaques on the statues. Um, it was a beautiful day and uh, enjoyed the sunset there. A different day in the same week. I think it might, I might have my days backwards. It all kind of runs together. Um, Priest after Easter, this is a sidebar, but it explains things. We always joke that, well, the tomb is empty, so we can crawl into it now. As in, after the Triduum, uh, we are exhausted. And so, good thing Jesus goes out of the tomb, because we're going to crawl in there and lay down and die ourselves, is what it feels like. So, the days run together a bit after Easter, because we've given it our all, and so we're good to be alive. So anyways, on one of these days, I think it was the next day or the day before, I don't remember. It might have been Sunday evening, Easter Sunday evening, or maybe Tuesday. Regardless, I was again driving, going around town, and sun was going down. I thought, you know what? I have a book of poetry in my car. I'm going to stop and read it. it. Seemed like a good time, nice, peaceful evening to appreciate the day by opening a book of poetry. And I did. I have a book. I picked up Leaves of Grass by Walt Whitman, apparently a classic book of poetry. And I read one poem out of it. Great. Something about the passage of time. Very good poem. Obviously, I see why he's good. Later, at dinner, I thought, you know what? I'll start reading the introduction. Because I just started in the middle of the book to read that one poem. The introduction was kind of neat. Uh, began talking about, um, in, a, in a philosophical way, how Whitman was kind of an American secular messiah of poetry. Kind of a the great artist of, of the written word. Which, okay. I can handle that, you know, as a metaphor, that's not bad. Um, and there's a sense of, yeah, we can acknowledge that as uh, America, even sort of in a post-Victorian time, is uh, like the rest of the world becoming more secular. There is a sense of, uh, you know, everyone worships something. And so this great poetic figure kind of becomes a literary messiah. Okay, I can handle that. But then it get it got more and more into this somewhat circular discussion of really, really embracing that Messiah quality and how Whitman had this the, the 
something about Kabbalah came up a lot, which I've heard that term before. I'm not going to try and say anything about it because I don't quite know what that means. Um, but it got really uh, in on itself, um, began to explain the poet, and maybe this is really true about him, but um, I really got, um, I'm not trying to say, it, I hit a threshold of the amount of smug intelligentsia kind of poetic commentary. It wasn't poetry, but this um, kind of really, really wrapped in upon itself analysis of precisely, technically what was happening in his poetry. And framing that in the context of the, well, even I said that the Whitman himself was, was rather secular, I think, and the secularizing uh, context, I realized that when you reject God, when you don't have that reference outside of self that is um, the, the format of the universe, if you will, the, the higher order to which to refer, then you are left to only go deeper and deeper into the self and make more and more self-reference and be, quote, meta about things. And actually it becomes exhausting to only refer to oneself especially in a secular, but I don't mean just like, oh, I'm so great, but to, but to make one's self the definition of what is, when if we are attentive to it, ourselves is not the totality of what is. And so if we force ourselves to be the totality of what is, having rejected everything else, it ultimately is shallow and unsatisfying. We may be able to come up with lots of intelligent sounding critical analysis about it but eventually it becomes so much fluff trying to dig deeper out of what isn't as deep as what the real depth of the world really is the poetry is still good but the appreciation of it and probably somewhat the mind of the poet himself can overdo the amount of how important of how important he himself really is. It did make me ponder, though, where is the authentic Catholic poetic voice? Because the Catholic poetic voice should have a proper balance of self, which is important, versus the higher order of God. There should be a balance between the reference to those two things. Not only one, not only the other, but a proper, you might say, conversation between them. Maybe I'm not aware of it. Maybe it's one of those kind of things where they don't become famous until after they're already gone. But I'm not aware of a current or even modestly recent Catholic poetic voice. There are, there are small features, small figures like Chesterton, for example, or, you know, some of Tolkien's verse poetry. That's great. But there's not a great Catholic poet, you know, like Dante right now, as far as I know. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Someone tell me if I am. I did find, however, a somewhat of a stepping stone to that. Uh, one that's not Catholic in its out loud description of itself, but one that is has a lot of a Catholic context going on for it. And that's the Flogging Molly album, Life is Good. I'm driving all this into it just the other day, and it's packed full of not only Judeo-Christian references, but the spirit of them, too. That is a kind of authentic humanism. It celebrates life joys, but it doesn't hide the sorrows either. It is concerned with others, not just the speaker, not just the author. And it's also just 
good music or just good art as music. It's honestly best at high volume, but not too self-important like some art can become. And it actually inspired me to work on my preaching and evangelization. I can't be in a rock band, and no one wants to hear me do karaoke as much as I think I'd kill it at that. So I might as well put that energy into what I can do. Preaching, campus ministry, spiritual direction, and even parish administration. You know, that's where my workshop is, but we all have one, you have yours. The gospel isn't stoic, it isn't quiet, buttoned up, or buttoned up tight, rather. It doesn't put on a facade of good behavior or play by the rules. I mean, read the Acts of the Apostles and you'll find that it's a lot more riot of energy and adventure than most Christians would care to admit. So, uh, there is some Catholic voice there in an Irish rock band. Being Irish, there's lots of uh, just Catholic background. And I think it's good for us to, and that's something I said on this podcast a lot, I think it's good for us to take that energy that we come from even not specifically, quote, Catholic things, and take the good lowercase c Catholic elements from them and be inspired by them. There's nothing wrong with that. We don't have to have everything that is specifically, you know, written by the U.S. bishops to be inspired by. Um, we're honest, sometimes that won't be very, very inspiring at all. So we can find the Catholic even in non-specifically Catholic things. I think that's, in fact, very important to do. As a little bit of a postscript, tonight is the prom in Weatherford I discovered. A shout out to those families that uh, were at Mass this evening to go to Mass beforehand. I hope that the other young people who are members of the parish find a way to go to prom tomorrow morning. I'm not optimistic, unfortunately, because I know how these sort of things work. Uh, but I do hope that happens. And I'll be very joyful for those that are there. Thinking about them, though, A, pray for them that they make good choices, or sort of in the past, when you, re when you hear this, that or, it, uh, it will have already happened. Pray that they do make good choices that are in the future. And if they didn't, that they go to confession. But what it makes me think of is that they're going to have lots of fun, lots of music going on, uh, lots of high-energy stuff, lots of things that engage them at you know, the junior-senior level in high school. But the music and the partying and the adventure they're going to have tonight, that's all going to fade. That's all going to be very soon in the past. It feels great right now. They're having lots of fun tonight, but it will eventually, it'll be quiet. They'll go home. They'll go back to their own places. They'll have to go back to school on Monday. That will pass. But there's no reason that we can't take their desire for that. That You can't take your desire for that because we all want to have that kind of thing in our right way, whatever it is for us. There's no reason we can't look for what we look for in worldly passing things and realize that they're actually present in a life of faith. Faith and living it is the real adventure, even if it takes applying unexpected things like an Irish punk rock band to realize it. Come Holy Spirit. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others. See y'all later.